Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Wave at me if you're happy. Some of you guys are lying. <laughs> we're going to talk about happiness today. We're going to be talking about joy. Um, we're going to get to the point where we talk about the fact that they're not the same thing. Anybody figure that out already? Joy and happiness, not the same thing. <laughs> so before I get started, I just want to say thank you. If you're new here, so glad you guys are here. We've been doing a series now for a couple of weeks um, called The Promise. And we've been talking about these, these uh, promises of Advent, who Jesus was in that first coming, coming as a baby in the manger, and the promise that God was bringing through who Jesus was, the promise of, um, we talked about hope, and we talked about peace, and today we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about joy. And so, uh, I don't know if you are like me, but I love everything about Christmas, I mean, except the shopping and people, you know, and, and all that stuff, but uh, Everything gets made with sugar, <laughs> so that's always a joy for me. Um, but, but one of the things I love is I actually like giving gifts. I like getting them. That's always nice, too, obviously. But there's something about giving a gift um, that I, I love to do that. But the challenge that I have is I'm so impatient that when I give a gift, I want to tell them what it is. Like, I want to hand them a package, you know, or whatever it is. It's all wrapped and pretty. But then I'm, it's everything I can do just not to tell them right then what it is, right? Because <laughs> I'm like, you're going to love this. I, I was thinking about you, and I got this, and you're going to love it. And, and here it is. Um, I got my wife an anniversary gift. Our anniversary is in November. And uh, she's hard to hide things from because she, she, you know, she's all over the house, and she, she likes to do something called piddling. I don't know if any other ladies do that. But I, I'm like, I'm just trying to be still and, and sit here and rest. And she's like, hey, can you help me do this? I'm like, is this really important? She said, it is to me, <laughs> right? So she's all over the place. But one place that I have, I have in my garage, I have a little room um, with a, um, a desk and, you know, tools and all that kind of stuff. So I hide, her, I hide her gift out there. But I'm telling you, like, literally, all the way up, I'm like, I, I'm just going to give it to her now. <laughs> and I, I literally just couldn't help myself. I, I did, it was everything I could do to wait to our anniversary to give it to her. So I did. And she loved it, and I, but I also kept the receipt because I know her. Like, <laughs> it's like it was some jewelry, and sometimes she's like, you know, I already have something like this, and how come you don't know that? I'm like, because I don't keep an inventory on your jewelry like you do. <laughs> so I buy things that I think you're going to like, and then I also keep the receipt because I know how particular she can be. But I love to give gifts, but it's really, really challenging to keep it quiet about that, right? And it turns out that God's exactly the same way. He also loves to give gifts, right? And obviously the greatest gift he gave was his son, 2,000 years ago, he gives us gift, the, the hope, the joy, the peace, the love, the goodness. Every good thing is coming from heaven because of who Jesus is in this gift. And so you, you pick up this, this picture of, of God's great joy in Luke chapter 2. Um, most of us read the Christmas story a million times, but it says this. It says, there were the shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over all their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. We talked about this last, last week, about not being afraid. And then the angel say, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, you know, we think about that moment where he, the, these, this angel appears to the, to the shepherds, this great choir, you know, and we've depicted this in plays and everything. But nobody ever talks about what happened right before that moment. <laughs> right? Like somewhere in heaven, there was a meeting, obviously, you know, and it's like, is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? And all the angels are like, I can't wait. This is, they're going to be so blown away. Like, this gift is the most amazing. Like, you've been saving this gift up since before time. And they're just like, ah, this is so exciting. And like, who are we going to tell first? Let's, let's tell a bunch of, you know, shepherds that nobody wants to talk to. We're, don't we want to tell kings first? No, no, no. Tell the shepherds. They'll love it. They're going to so love this. They, they don't always get good news. They're going to really, really love this, right? And so this beautiful story of God's excitement to share this great gift of, uh, 
uh, of God's joy, his, his great gift of, of who Jesus was going to be into the earth. And so we, we've been talking about that. But it, this is what's kind of interesting. When you read this, it does not say um, good news. I'm sorry. I will bring you good news that will cause great happiness for all the people. <laughs> right? It's like, I wonder why he did not use the word happiness. And so when you, when you go into a state, like in the world, in, in, in our culture, happiness and joy are interchangeable. Everybody, they say it the same way and act as if it's the same word, but it's not the same word, especially in, in Scripture. So joy and happiness are not the same. We know that. Happiness is an emotion whose source comes from the natural. It comes from the physical. Um, it's dependent upon circumstances. It is unstable and subject to change at any moment. You ever notice that? Like, like you look forward to, I don't know if you've ever bought a new car or something like really expensive that's new or you get a new house. And, and what's the phrase they always say? The new car smell wears off really quickly, so you have to get that thing and hang it from your mirror with the new car smell, <laughs> right? Well, the new car smell wears off, but the new car feeling wears off even faster, right? Especially if you're in debt. So, so you're happy when you get it, and then it becomes just the car, Right? And the world's kind of like that. Is whatever you think is going to bring you happiness, at best it's fleeting, and, and at worst it comes and immediately goes away. And the danger of happiness is it, th- there's an elation of joy. There's this beautiful moment, whoa, this peak, right? And then instantly it goes back into regular world or regular life or I got to go to work on Monday or whatever it is. And, and all the happiness, the feeling, the emotion seems to su- subside. And the danger of that is it feels like you got ripped off. You're like, I was so excited about that. And then I got it and it's awesome, but it's not as awesome as I thought it was going to be, right? And so joy is a little bit different. Joy is a quality of the spirit um, whose source is supernatural. It's above natural. It's above the physical. It happens in the physical, but it's above the physical. Um, if you've received joy, and joy is wholly dependent, biblical joy is wholly dependent on, on your connection with who Jesus is, who God is um, through Jesus, right? But if you've ever received joy, if you've walked in this joy, you recognize, first of all, it's stable. It never goes away. There's something about knowing who you are in God, knowing that the wrath, that because we've sinned, we've missed the mark, and the wrath of God abides on those who have, who have disconnected themselves from God through their sin, right? We know this. Um, but there's something amazing when you know you have re- been redeemed. You know that no matter the worst thing, the, the, the worst thing that could ever happen to you is not the last thing that's going to happen to you, right? Because death, eventually, the Bible says death is swallowed up. We were at a funeral this week, and again, it's very, very challenging because there's not a whole lot of happiness, right? Um, what's really interesting is we were there with, uh, with some friends from here at the church, and they have a little girl, and this little girl is the epitome of joy, and sometimes you feel like, you know, that's, they don't know how to contain their joy. <laughs> and so sometimes it's like, is that inappropriate? And it turns out that because the woman we were there for, uh, for the funeral, that she was a believer, it was, it was wholly and completely appropriate to walk in joy. Why? Because she was really, really happy. We're all sad because we miss her and there's going to be a time, a space where we won't have her. But there's such joy in our hearts because, first of all, the moment she left here, she was instantly, the Bible says she's instantly in the presence of the Lord. And all of the challenge, all of the tears that she'd cried, she was in her 70s, all that was instantly wiped away. The Bible says no more tears, no more, no more shame, no more guilt, no more fear, none of those things. All of those things have been wiped away. The tears have been wiped away. Why? Because what Jesus did 2,000 years ago settled it for all of us if we put our faith and our trust in him. And there's something about knowing that confidence that no matter what life has to throw at you, you never lose the joy. It's not unstable, and it cannot be taken away by outside sources. It's a big difference between joy and happiness. 
Joy can lead to happiness. You can walk in more happiness if you understand joy. But happiness can never lead to joy because the physical cannot give birth to the spiritual. The natural can't give birth to the spiritual, but the spiritual can give birth to the natural. So part of what we understand about joy, you see this in Scripture, Galatians 5, 2, we see that joy is produced by the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and it goes on. But joy is a fruit of having the Spirit of God inside of you, right? So you can see this actually Uh, an example of this pictured in John 15, verse 11. It says, these things I've spoken to you. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. And he just came through talking about the the parable uh, of the branch and the vine, right? That that connected Jesus. He talks about the father being the gardener. He's the vine and we're the branch. In other words, it's all about the connection. He's connected to the father as the gardener. And he's the, you know, he's the, uh, again, the vine. And then that vine sustains every branch that's connected to it. Right? And he goes through and he talks about this, a big, big, big deal. This is what he says. He says, these things I've spoken to you. In other words, I talked to you about this connection, right? So, and this is what he says, so that my joy may remain in you. It, isn't it interesting? He didn't just say so that joy could remain in you. He said, I have a joy because I'm connected to the Father, right? And you can have this same joy because you are connected to me and I'm connected to the Father. And the whole point of him dying on the cross is now you also are connected to the Father. Right, that the that the sin that the, the, the chasm that had created such a, I mean the sin that had created such a chasm and, and had had caused God to turn His face away from us. Jesus came and built that bridge on the cross so that we could come back into fellowship with God forever and ever. Amen. Right. So He says, "These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full." So there's this picture of that your joy is connected to something else. You can't really have your joy unless you have his joy that leads to your joy. Does that make sense? So there's a connection there. So Jesus, again, is referring to those words, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. So our relationship with Jesus is like that of a branch to a vine. It's absolutely dependent upon the vine, right? So the the easy way to think of it is it's, it's the way the sap flows from the vine into the branch and brings life to it. The life of Jesus in us, it flows into me, and because of that, the joy that is in him is now in me. And it's supernatural. It's a fruit of something, and that's kind of the picture I'm giving, uh, trying, to, trying to make. So um, Charles Spurgeon, in one of his sermons, talked about being f- this passage about being full of joy, and this is what he said. It's a little bit lengthy, but it's worth reading. He said, when a man has eaten all he can eat, you may set whatever you like before him, but he has no appetite for it. <laughs> we, uh, we were gone uh, over this last week up in, uh, we went to Biltmore for Christmas, kind of a bucket list to see Biltmore at Christmas, and it was delightful. It was everything that they promised. It was really beautiful. Um, it's a really big house. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> it's like, it takes a long time to go through that thing. And so, so we were eating at some really amazing places. One of the things we budgeted for, we're like, we're going to eat some nice restaurants. And so we ate at several different places, and they would bring us stuff, and we would eat to our, I mean, we just, it was delightful, Right. But it was so interesting that um, at one point they, they said, would you like dessert? And I said, what do you have? And they told me a list, and one of my favorites was on there, and I said, I would absolutely like dessert. And I sat there for a second, and I could see the image of key lime pie in my head, <laughs> right? And I like sugar. So it was like, oh, the angels are singing, you know. And I'm like, I'm not going to eat that. <laughs> I am so not going to eat it. So in wisdom, thankfully, I said, no, I'm good. No sense in bring it to me because no matter how amazing that is, it cannot do anything for someone who's already full. And the same thing is true about this joy. He goes on, this is what he says. He says, when a man is forgiven by God and knows that he is saved, the joy of the Lord enters his soul and he says, 
You may take all other joys and do what you like with them. I have my God, my Savior, and I want no more. He goes on, he says, Then ambition ceases, lust is quiet, covetousness is dead, and desires that once roamed abroad now stay at home. (laughs) There's something about being full, and so often I meet believers who are not full of joy. And I wonder why, if you claim to be a Christian, why do you look like you've been baptized in vinegar? <laughs> right? All puckered up and like, good, what is going on? And some of that is the circumstances of the world. I get it. Life happens. We understand all that. But Jesus makes some promises that in his connection with this whole thing about the vine, that in this connection to him, he will be our joy. And that's really what I'm trying to say. Christ, is, he doesn't just bring joy. He is our joy. And so there's a couple of scriptures. Let me just go after this in 1 Peter. It says, 1 Peter 1.8, though you, though you have not seen him, talking about Christ, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. So they had heard, that he, Peter's talking to people who, were, who never saw Jesus in the natural. He had seen Jesus in the natural. John had seen him. These are the first apostles, right? The first disciples of Jesus. But he's now talking to believers who never saw Jesus in the flesh. So listen to that again with that in mind. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Why? Because you believed in him. There's a lot to unpack in you have believed in him, right? It's not as as simple as we think it is. But it's also, if we don't get the complexity of it, what does it actually mean to believe in, he's invisible. God, I can't see him, right? And Jesus talked to that whole picture about the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit is just like the wind. We all get this. He's like, you see, you see things moving around, and you say, the wind did that. Did you see the wind? No. But you know and you understand what wind does, and even though it's invisible, you see it's, it's fruit. You see the results of it. And the same thing is true of joy. If your heart is full of Jesus, if you are connected to Jesus, there is a joy inexpressible, the Bible says. It's so deep that it's not dependent on the circumstances around you. And one way you can tell whether you really are walking in this is, is your joy dependent on circumstances? And if it is, you do not have joy. You had happiness. And it will come and it will go. But you can have joy. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy. Right? So this is his prayer, that God would fill you with all hope. And then he talks about how he does that. He says, fill you with all joy and peace. How? As you trust in him, so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's coming back to that picture of that joy is a fruit of God's spirit residing inside of you. Your connection to Jesus who he is, all those things, what he did for you on the cross, but having a personal relationship with Jesus. And we hear that all the time, and those phrases in church get so worn out that they stop having real meaning. So I I ask Jesus into my heart, what does that mean? I have no idea. (laughs) I do this all the time when someone says that. They'll go, hey, man, I I, I got saved. I'm like, well, so what does that mean? Uh, I don't know. So it goes back to part of the problem in the modern church is we, 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 do, we say and do things that are cultural but not necessarily biblical. 
right? So we give an altar call. You come up, and I tell you to say this prayer after me. And you say it. Now, I don't know you, and maybe you said that prayer because you actually have understand who Jesus is, what he did on the cross, understand the depth of the brokenness of your own sin and how disconnected you are from God. Maybe you understand that. Maybe you don't. But if you pray that prayer without understanding the, pray, the prayer that you prayed, you did not pray that prayer. Does that make sense? And so that's why Jesus never said, say this prayer after me. What Jesus said was, follow me. His, his intention was, you have to get close enough to me to see the good things and the challenges. And God, Jesus always brought both challenges. He, he brought challenge to our life. He, he would say things, and, and the disciples would literally say, that's hard to hear. He's like, you ain't seen nothing yet. Hang around a little bit longer, and you're going to hear some hard stuff. But with that comes the beauty of who he is and what he brings into our life, right? But so often we say we're, we're, we pray a prayer and we don't, we don't know what we're praying. And it's helpful if you're going to pray that prayer to understand what it is that you're praying. So this is what Romans says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. You want joy and peace? You can have it, right? It's free. It's not automatic, but it is free. Someone paid for you. So it's not that it, there wasn't a price. It's just that you didn't have to pay it. He says, you want to be filled with joy? Here's how you do it. You have to trust in him. It comes, it doesn't come automatically, but, it, but it's, it's available. But it's, you have to do something, and that's, you have to trust. It says, so that you may overflow with hope. What does that mean? That means there's, and we talked about hope in one of the last messages, about what it looks like to have a hope that comes from God, that's not also dependent on the circumstances, Right? So, so the, the greatest, the Bible says the greatest enemy is death, and Jesus has already beaten that enemy as well, but one day all of his enemies are going to be made his footstool, and even death is going to be no more. And that, that we don't understand that because we can't wrap our heads around it because we live in the finite, and we live in the natural, and God is supernatural, which means above nature, right? We live in time, and he lives outside of time. Time is inside of him. We live and breathe and have our, our being inside of God, Right? So there's something that we're, we're not going to wrap our heads around it completely. It's kind of like a chihuahua chasing a bus. What do you do when you catch it? <laughs> right? <laughs> so maybe you're, and, and true, you'll never, you're not going to understand God in this world completely. You're not. So un, if, he, if you could understand God completely, then God is not God. You are. Right? Just common sense. But you can apprehend him. And that's what Jesus said. Come and follow, apprehend me. Come and follow me. Bring yourself close enough to see who I really am and make a decision about what you want to do about that, right? He says that if you do this, you're not going to have just fullness of joy, but it's literally going to overflow in hope. There's going to be something that no enemy can take away from you. No circumstance, no situation in this world, no, not losing your job, not losing your spouse, not losing a kid, not nothing can separate you from God. That's what Scripture is saying. So here's the thing that some of us miss. This is my, my next point is, and that's this, that we are God's joy. He is ours. He is our joy. But we forget that we are God's joy. Anybody ever heard that before? <laughs> it always turns into something you have to do for God, which actually is not the gospel at all. The gospel is God did something for you. Would you like to know that? It's good news. That's what the whole point of, you know, Jesus coming to the earth, the whole point of the angels declaring this to the shepherds, he's like, hey, man, we got some, we got some good news that's going to fill the world with joy. If they hear this good news and understand it, it's going to change them. 
And again, most people miss it. It's what we think. We think we have to be good for God to love us. i got to do the right thing so that God will accept me and receive me. Right? I, I, I tried that. Um, it didn't work out so well. <laughs> I got a great T-shirt, but it never worked out, right? Because I tried. I, the thing about the law is you can't fulfill the law. That's the point of the law is to show you you can't fulfill it. Now, I just wrapped up the entire Old Testament for you. You're welcome. <laughs> but Jesus did it better, right, when someone said, so what's the greatest of the laws? And he said, love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, everything within you, right, which you can't do, by the way, in your own strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself, which you can't do in your own strength, right? So Jesus' point was love, actually, when you understand love, love is the fulfillment of all the law, but you can't do it because the kind of love he was talking about was what's called agape, the Greek word for it, and it literally means unconditional, that you love unconditionally. And, it's, and you can't do that in your own strength. You just can't. And you, matter of fact, you can't even love yourself, right, which is the, the, the point that we miss in that passage Jesus gave about how do you love your neighbor. And you can't love your neighbor if you don't love God, and you can't love your neighbor if you don't love God and then love yourself. Because if you don't understand who God is, you will never see yourself accurately. You all see yourself, you will be wrong in one way or the other. You'll think you're way better than you are, right? Anybody know those people? <laughs> like, I'm amazing. Let me tell you about how amazing I am, right? It's like, would you please not? I don't want to hear it one more time. Or you can never live up to the standard. I, you know, I can't, I can't do it. I may as well just give up. And both of those are the wrong way to think. As a matter of fact, Jesus told a parable about two sons that were, were lost. We think it was one lost son that went away and spent his, all of his inheritance, or he thought all of his inheritance, on riotous living. You know, he did what he thought he was going to do, ended up with no friends, living in a pigsty, right? That was me in my 20s. <laughs> so, so the other one, though, is another son who was just as lost, but he was on the, the father's property. He was at church all the time. He was in ministry. He was doing the work of the father and never knew the father. Go read the story. It's powerful. It's one of the most powerful scriptures that you can get. Why? Because it paints a picture of two people, one who can never do, they think, I've ruined it. I've, I've screwed up. I've spent all the inheritance. God won't love me. And he come, the Bible says he came to himself and he decided, I'll go home, right? I'll go home. And at best case scenario, I will be like a hired servant. God will never look at, my father will never look at me like a son again because I've, I've royally screwed it up. Some of you guys, that's what you feel this morning. If you knew what I did, if, listen, if you knew what I, would, I did, you wouldn't be listening to me preach right now. You're like, I don't know if that's redeemable, Dave, <laughs> right? But it, it doesn't matter. God says it's not based on what you do. I love that song we talked about. Um, I did, I'm not holding him up, so I can't let him down, right? So the song we sang during worship. And the whole aspect of this, when we get this, what happens is we think, we think we have to be good for God to love us, but we have it backwards. God loves us so we can become good. See, there's something about when you see who Jesus really is and what he did on the cross on your behalf, then you, you ask the question, what kind of love is this? And that's the right question. There were two guys on the cross. There's always two guys. You ever notice that? <laughs> there was a guy, one guy on the cross was yelling at Jesus to, do his, to make my life better. Everything was about him. If you, were, if you were really who you said you were, you would get us down here. You would get us down here so I can go do the things I was doing already that put me on the cross in the first place. That's literally what he was saying. The other guy looks at him and said, are you an idiot? We are here on this cross because we deserve it. That is sober-mindedness. He was accurate about it. And then he looked at Jesus, and there was a hope that began to well up in him because I imagine he'd heard his story and heard him preach, 
and something inside of him says, maybe his mercy will be shown. Because I don't deserve it. I, I don't deserve it, but I'm going to ask for mercy. And he asked him, Jesus, will you remember me? Jesus said, man, you're going to be with me in, in paradise today. Now, we talked about this last week. Never went to a Bible study, never went to church, never went to seminary, never gave money, never did any of those things. Why? But he followed Jesus enough, just enough to know who he was and what he'd done for him. And because of that, he was saved. I imagine the last few moments of that guy's life, even though he was on a cross, maybe wasn't full of happiness. I'm guessing it wasn't. (laughs) But I'll bet it was full of joy. It's powerful, right? Romans 5 says this. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We forget that part. We're like, Lord, you know, we, 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 we think we understand it enough to get saved, to say, God, I don't deserve this. You saved me. And then right after that, for some reason, the gospel was good enough to get me in, but not good enough to keep me in. So then it's all about my behavior and all the things that I have to do. And can I tell you, there's nothing that will steal your joy faster than thinking you have to earn your joy. If you grew up in church, that might be new to you. Here's another scripture, Hebrews 12, 2. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus is one of the most beautiful scriptures in the Bible. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think about that for a second. It says we fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Why do we look to Jesus? Because there was a joy that was said, his joy. Why would he be willing to go to a cross? Here's another thought that's just a sidelight but might be helpful. If you think there's any other way to God than through Christ, you're wrong. And the reason, there's a bunch of reasons why. One is scripture says that that's true. But you have a lot of world religions saying, hey, here's another way, here's another way. And we all want to be compliant and we all want to be nice and we all want to be woke and go, well, I don't want to offend the guy. It's just millions of people believe that. I don't know if you know this, but millions of people believe that you had to bleed your arm out from the demons to get sickness out of you and some guy figured out that that wasn't true, right? Nobody's ever going to fly. Remember that big lie, <laughs> right? Until somebody did. And then, and then one of my favorites is some guy at IBM said, you know, computers are never going to be for the common person. They're always going to be for big corporations. And some guy said, what if we just built one in a garage and sell them to every Tom, Dick, and Harry and see what happens? I got, I got a, it's right down there. I've got a computer right there, right? <laughs> right? Everybody. And my, my, and my, remember, my math teacher said, you better learn how to do math because it's not like you're going to have a calculator with you all the time. I, I just, I just want to write her and tell her, right? <laughs> you lied to me, Right? You thought you were an authority. You lied to me. So here's the thing. Jesus came, and and this is what it says. There was something on the other side of the challenges that he had in life. This is another reason why we understand when Jesus, listen to what he did. He said, he said, scorning its shame. In other words, he said, the the cross was the most shameful way for someone to die. We forget this, but the the Bible tells the story that when Jesus was hung on the cross, you never see this, by the way, in, in pictures because people wanted to cover his shame. Right? And rightfully so, I understand that. But every picture you ever see of Jesus on the cross, he has something across the front of him, doesn't he? But that's not how he was crucified. He was crucified, Scripture says, naked. Why? Because they wanted to maximize the shame of a criminal's death. 
It was designed to be visible and on display as a warning to anyone else who would do wrong things. And the Bible says, he said he scorned the shame. In other words, he says, I don't care about the shame. I will endure the pain, the brokenness. I'll endure it all. I'll endure the shame. Why? Because on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the cross, there was something that brought him great joy. I wonder what that was. There's a clue, right? He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why? Because it was finished. Remember, he said that on the cross. Everything about Everything about my life, my existence, who I am and who I was going to be, the Bible says a lamb slain before the foundations of time. The promises of all the prophets, all of Scripture, the glorious moment. This was 33 years earlier when the shepherds heard this glorious announcement. There's going to be a message that's coming that's going to bring joy to the whole world, right? And now he's finalizing that message. He's been talking about it for three years, and now he's finalizing that message. He says, everything I said about you coming to me and what that was going to mean, what blessedness looks like, right? What all that looks like, that you are going to be able to come back into relationship with the Father because of what I'm doing. He did that on the cross, and he said, it is finished. So on that day, that glorious day of redemption, when he would be united, this is what he's thinking about, that he's going to be united and exalted with all believers from all ages, all of time, the glorious day when the new heavens and earth would be recreated and all the redeemed would be worshiping and serving God all in all. The glorious day when the salvation of all believers of all generations for all time would be completely and perfectly fulfilled. And he and, he and all those who love him would be ruling and reigning with him forever and ever. Amen. So there are so many ways to express the joy that was set before Christ, but the thing to see is that it was the joy of redemption, that it was going to be finished, and that he was going to have you. Now think about that for a second. But Dave, you don't understand what I've done. Will you stop saying that? Why do you keep making this about you? But my sin, my sin, my sin, his salvation is greater than your sin. Here's the way we know it. Jesus died on the cross, but before he died, before he gave his life away, Scripture said nobody takes it, he gives it away. Before that happened, this is what he said, it is finished, then he died. Now why is that important? Because the sacrifice was greater than the sin. The sacrifice that Jesus gave, and we know it's true because the Bible says three days later, the Father raised him from the dead. And now... He sits, but he endured the cross, he, 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 he endured the shame, he endured it all. Why? Because on the other side of that, there was such a joy that he, everything that he'd been living for, all the promises that had been made for thousands of years, all the promises, in that moment, it was going to be finished. And, and it was. It was finished. He had paid the price. The Bible says in that moment, <clears throat> over in Jerusalem, symbology, the, 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 you know, the curtain that separates the Holy of Holies from everybody else was torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top, signifying that no man was ever going to open the curtain to God through religion or any other way. It was going to come because Jesus said, I will pay the price to open the curtain and bring fellowship to people with God. And so because of what Jesus did on that cross on your behalf, you have access to all of your inheritance as a son or a daughter of the Father. It's yours. You can walk in it or not walk in it. That's your choice. You can learn about him or not learn about him. You can follow Jesus or not follow him. 
But if you have understood this and you have placed your trust in him, that you're not finding some way to try to save yourself, which is what every other religion in the world does, some way you can save yourself. Christianity is the only religion that has a savior. It's the only one. So either he can save you or you can try to save yourself. Either he can give you a gift of righteousness or you can have self-righteousness. But you can't have both, right? The joy set before him. So this one we all know, but this is in the New Living Translation, John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. I love this version. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. Why? So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So what does that mean? That means that God had an ambition to have you. The whole Bible is a love story about you. And the only way you screw it up is to make it about you. (laughs) You want to get in a relationship like, I want to be in a relationship with somebody amazing. Then don't make it about you. You know, my, my wife, our relationship works not because I'm a perfect husband or my wife is a perfect wife, but she's much better at marriage than I am. I promise you that, right? But you know what, work, what, what works is because God did something inside of our heart 30-something years ago that said selfishness, selfishness will destroy this relationship. You want to be self-centered, you're going to be self-centered and alone. And so God comes and says, hey, I want to bless you. I, want, I love you so much that I have created all of this. This whole story is all about you. If everything I'm on the cross, if there was nobody else in the entire world, he would have died just for you, right? He makes this all about you. But if you make it all about you, then you mess with the relationship. But when you begin to discover how amazing he is and how much he loves you and how much he wants you and how much he, he wants to be with you, it's like, but you don't understand what I've done wrong. If you take that attitude, never get married, never come out of your house because you're going to mess it up somehow, some way. But love has the ability, the Bible, the Bible says, love has the ability to overlook something, to recognize that you're not perfected yet. There will come a day when you're going to be the perfect bride to Jesus. That's true. That's what the whole end matter, the salvation issue is about. Someday, that's what it's going to look like. All the tears are wiped away, all the brokenness. You are, you're going to be there, and you're going to be perfect. The truth is, right now, if you have put your trust in Jesus, you are heaven ready. Have you perfected everything? No. But God says, I love you so much, so much, that I will pay for your sin. I will pay for the things that are in the way so that you can see how good I am, right? And then learn to love me the way I love you. And when we first start, we're not very good at it. And what happens is when we do that, what happens is if we're, if we're not careful, we get distracted and we begin to lose our joy. So let me just finish with this. If you're a believer this morning, if you've placed your trust in Jesus, and maybe you feel like I've lost touch with the joy that's in my life, let me ask you a couple of questions. Have you lost touch with God? Have you done something in your past and the enemy's convinced you that because of that you can't come before the Lord? You've ruined it now. You know, it's, it's the one thing, it's too much. You can't do it. The scripture says, when do you come before the throne room of grace for help in time of need? When you're in need, <laughs> right? So come boldly, the Bible says. Why? Because it's a throne room of grace. It's not a throne room of judgment or the law that's done away with because what Jesus did on the cross. It's a throne room of grace, and there is help for you in your time of need. And it's not like God doesn't know you need it, Right? Have I let my circumstances cloud my judgment? 
More importantly, have I neglected to ask him about what I need? Here's the trick of the enemy. He gets you into a place where you don't feel like you can come before the Father because you don't deserve it. Can I just tell you, you've never deserved it. You're never going to deserve it. Doesn't change the fact that he did it. So you just need to acknowledge that. Quit making it about how you've messed up and made it about how he has made available a way for you that wasn't there before. So the only one who can take away your joy is you. God doesn't take away your joy. Circumstances cannot take away your joy. Bullies can't, don't have the power to take away your joy. The enemy can't take away your joy. Only you can take away that joy. And the only way you'll find your joy lost is these three things. When you stop focusing on Christ, if you take your eyes off Jesus, if you stop beholding him, whatever you're beholding, that's what you become. If you behold your brokenness, that's all you think about. But if you behold him, he is all you think about, and it brings great joy. Secondly, when you stop identifying with Christ and you start identifying with your past. So you've heard this before. I didn't come up with this, but when the enemy reminds you of your past, you just remind him of his future. (laughs) The accuser of the brethren is literally his name. What do you think he's good at? Right? So if you don't understand your identity in Christ and you think you have to keep doing something to deserve his love, you do not understand your identity with Christ and it makes you an easy prey for the enemy. The Bible says the enemy walks around like a roaring lion. He isn't one, but like one doing what? Looking for someone he can devour. Do not be the person that he can devour. Understand your identity with Christ. And lastly, if you just walk in disobedience, if you just choose, God keeps talking to you about transformation in your life because the Bible says we're, we're, we're saved, we're heaven ready, but there's a process of transform, transformation that occurs when your mind is renewed and you learn who God is and what he's like and who you are and your inheritance and all the things that are available to you. But if you refuse to do that and continue to walk in disobedience, you will be without joy. Maybe you're saved, maybe you had a real encounter with Jesus, but if you're not careful, you will live in existence as a believer, as a pauper, when all the inheritance has been made available to you because you just simply disobey. Like the prodigal son, I don't want to be with the father, I want to be with my friends, and I want to party, right? Or whatever is my, that thing that I want to do is. Whatever that looks like. Somewhere in that moment, when everything began to fall apart, the son had some recognition that how good his father was that he could at least come back to him. Can I tell you, he had no idea just how good that earthly father was. Because the Bible said when he was afar off, he ran to him, wrapped his arms around him, gave him all of his inheritance back, and threw a big party, right? So here's the thing about all three of those things. Every one of them that can steal your joy, all of those things happen based on decisions you make. It's never God saying, I'm going to withhold your joy because you did this or did that. Never. It always comes, I made a decision um, to not focus and not stay connected with God. I made a decision to, to, to not believe my identity about who he said I am, or I made a decision to just be disobedient. So lastly, what if you don't know the Lord? What if you've never known this joy ever before? Real joy, biblical joy, only comes when we trust in Christ. 2,000 years ago, joy was born into the earth. There's a message of, here's what's available to you, will you receive it? And let me just say it, the easiest way I can say it is you will not find what you're not looking for. We read a passage this last week about Simeon, and right, before, right after that was another prophet, the Bible said, named Anna. It's in Luke 2 again. It says, uh, Simeon, who was righteous and devout, he was waiting for something. 
for the consolation of Israel. Anna, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. These guys saw Jesus. Why? Because they were looking for something. You ever heard the passage, looking for love in all the wrong places? It's a line from a song. So often we're looking for joy in all the wrong places. We're looking, we're saying, if I, if I could just get married, if I could just be in a relationship, boy, I would have joy. Yes, you will, and you also have pain. Because people aren't perfect, right? Well, you know, if I had enough money, well, how much is enough? Right? Literally, probably everybody in this room, almost, maybe 90% of us, are in the 1% in the whole world. But that's not how we think about ourselves, is it? We think about that guy I was talking about before, Bill, Bill Gates, and like, you know, if you just spread the wealth around, we'd all be happy. Bill Gates ain't happy. <laughs> right? Maybe he's happy, but he doesn't have joy. I remember this, this captured my heart when I saw this. I, I love Tiger Woods. I watched him, you know, start out, and that's the only time I ever really followed golf, played for a while. He's the guy I love to watch, right? And I remember when he goes off the rails, he marries this beautiful model. She's amazing. She has a twin sister, which is super awkward, but whatever. <laughs> I was like, the two of them won the lottery at the same time in beauty. I'm like, that's not fair, right? <laughs> but he marries one of these girls and supposedly has a great life. And then next thing you know, he's gambling. And then he drives off and you know, has a big wreck. And they find out that his life has tanked in a huge way, right? And I remember thinking, that guy has more money than he could ever spend in a lifetime. He has access to the most beautiful women in the world. He's, he's physically, everything good that can happen to a person has happened to that person. He worked hard. He's got an incredible work ethic, all those things. And I look at, and none of those things could bring that man joy. So I want to challenge you this morning. You're not going to find what you're not looking for. If you think joy comes from the things that will fill you up, you're never going to be full enough. The only thing that can fill you up is the thing, you know, is God who made you with that, that empty place that's inside you can only be filled by him. It was designed to be. So you have to make a choice. What are you going to do with who Jesus is and what he said? So as we close, I just want to give you the good news because it's what the Bible says in Luke. They came and they gave good news that would bring great joy. And then I'm going to pray for us. The good news is that the one and only God who is holy made us in his image and he wants us to know him. But we've sinned and we've cut ourselves off from him. In his great love, God became man in Jesus, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross, fulfilling the law himself and taking on himself all of the punishment for the sins of all of those who would ever turn and trust in him. He rose again from the dead, showing that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us had been exhausted. Let me say it this way. If you think God is still angry with you, then that means he did not expend all of his wrath on Jesus on the cross. But the truth is, the Bible declares it, that all of his wrath was satisfied on Jesus on the cross. He took it all on our behalf. You know what that means? That means none of God's anger is left for you. But some of us are living as if it still is. Finally, he goes on. He rose again from the dead, showing that God accepted his sacrifice and that his wrath against us had fully been fully exhausted. He now calls us to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ alone for forgiveness. And if we do that, then we are born again into a new life. And the Bible says we can have eternal life here, not in heaven, but here. 
Eternal life just means that you are again full of life, connected to the Father. And Jesus said, I came to bring life and life more abundantly. And can I tell you this? If you are not living the abundant life, it's probably because you don't know joy. You've had some happiness. You have lots of ups and downs. And if you're not careful, everything that you're going after is fleeting because you're trying to find it in a place it doesn't exist. So I want to challenge you this morning. If you want real joy, the only place to find it is in Christ. Would you stand with me? Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you so much for what you have done. Lord, that you, you said for the joy that's set before you, that you would endure the cross, you would scorn the shame, Lord, and that you sit down at the right hand of God. Lord, everything has been finished. Everything that we need, um, your word says everything that we, that we have that pertains to life and godliness, Lord, you've given, it, given us already in the knowledge of Jesus. And so, Lord, everything that we have need of, You have put it in yourself. Lord, it comes from you and you alone. Lord, everything else is just a specter. Everything else is just a ghost image, Lord, of what you really are. It's a shadow is the way the Bible puts it. So, Jesus, we come to you now and say, God, I I want real joy. I don't want fleeting happiness. I want real joy, and, Lord, that only comes from you. Lord, would you teach us in this Advent season what it means to walk in real joy, to understand this message that would bring the whole world joy. Lord, we receive you for who you are. In your name we pray, amen. If you have need for prayer this morning, we'd love to pray for you. Join us up here at the front with some of our leaders. If not, have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next Sunday.